I noticed that you said there's nothing wrong with Miller Lite, but you conspicuously left out the other part of that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Hopefully I won't get in trouble for that one. <laughs> Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. This episode is sponsored by Thing. The Seattle Theater Group and Sasquatch Festival founder Adam Zacks present Thing. From August 26th through the 28th at historic Fort Warden in Port Townsend, you can enjoy a vast musical lineup, including Jungle, Modest Mouse, Father John Misty, and many more. The Thing Festival features two primary stages overlooking the Puget Sound, not to mention a variety of camping and parking accommodations. You can either book a one-day or three-day pass, and kids 12 and under are free, making this an event for the whole family. Come enjoy live music, art, and beautiful Fort Warden with us. To find out all the details, visit thingnw.org. Welcome back to this episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast. My guest today is Caitlin Brom. Caitlin, are you... What's your official title with Yonder? I'll ask you that question, then I'll, I'll take take the controls back from you. I'm the founder of Yonder Cider. Okay. So, Caitlin is the founder of Yonder Cider, but I have a feeling there's a story before that. So, why don't you tell the audience a bit about you and how it all led up to Yonder? Yeah, it's uh, kind of a wild ride, actually. So, I'm from the Midwest. Um, I've actually lived in 10 states in my life, was born in Michigan, moved around a lot as a kid, and then landed in Minnesota uh, for high school and college. And then I went to college to actually be a broadcast journalist, a TV reporter. Okay. I went for business as well. So, um, was a TV reporter in South Dakota for a couple of years. <laughs> I'm sorry, that sounds. So, were you like, the farm report. I, I don't know. I just kid. I reported a lot on weather, snowstorms, you know, <laughs> all sorts of fun things. So general assignment reporter, you throw it at me, I usually had to report on it. So um, yeah, so went into broadcast journalism and eventually decided I wanted to get into public relations and marketing. Um, I had grown up um, homebrewing with my dad as a kid. And so actually moved to Seattle to take a job in PR. My um, then boyfriend now husband had already moved to Seattle so moved here to be with him and took a job at a small PR firm that specialized in consumer products like wine and restaurants and all sorts of great amazing fun things so I was coming from the Midwest which at the time no longer is but at the time I always joke was the land of Miller Lite and Applebee's uh nothing wrong with Miller Lite Um, but I moved to Seattle and was just thrown into this world of food and beverage and wine and food and just all these amazing things that I fell in love with. I noticed that you said there's nothing wrong with Miller Lite, but you conspicuously left out the other part of that. I'm sorry. (laughs) Hopefully I won't get in trouble for that one. (laughs) No, 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 that's okay. I love that. So how long have you been in the Seattle area? I've been in the Seattle area, oh, about 11 years now. I absolutely love it. Okay. So you started, you, you came, you came out here, boyfriend, now husband, followed him, if you will, you got a job at a PR firm. That still doesn't explain 
why how you I opened got a here. cider company. Yeah. How, so, so, so we got, we got you to Seattle now. Got so first off, we got another 12 years to fill in here. So <laughs> Exactly. So, so when I uh, filled out my, like, you know, the bio you put on the website for the new company you're working for, and it says like ideal dream client. Uh, since I had homebrewed with my dad as a kid, I wrote craft brewery and put that out into the universe. And long story short, um, I left that PR firm after about three and a half years, started working for the downtown Seattle Association as their PR manager and started freelancing on the side and uh, started freelancing for small breweries. And it was kind of like that thing I put out into the universe um, came to fruition. I was working with places like Two Beers Brewing Company and Airways Brewing Company, um, Frolic Kitchen and Cocktails, and doing public relations, marketing, and branding for some of these growing clients and new restaurants and new breweries popping up. I just absolutely fell in love with telling their story. And so from there, it was a crazy couple of years of freelancing. I eventually went freelance full time, had my own PR firm and um, eventually uh, helped. um, Sorry, I'll start that over. I'm trying to think of the best place to start that. But um, I was freelancing for Two Beers Brewing Company and Eventually, under that same kind of umbrella, same owner, um, they started uh, Seattle Cider Company. And so I eventually came in full time as the director of marketing and business development for Two Beers and Seattle Cider and eventually became president of those two companies. So I was there for a few years, uh, left, took a job with Boston Beer and Angry Orchard, where I uh, worked with the innovation cider house that they have up in upstate New York. Also traveled the country and the world teaching people about cider and learning about cider. And then eventually decided, you know, it's time to go back and start my own thing and start small again. And there led to yonder. You may not want to answer this question. That's okay. But all I can ask and then you can can shut me down. This is my interpretation. (laughs) When I think of Angry Orchard... I think of Angry Orchard kind of like I think of Starbucks coffee. See, 800 pound gorilla. You can say it's good. You can say it's not good. But without Starbucks, all these small roasters in Seattle would have a hard time selling coffee for 20 bucks a pound, much less lattes for six and $7. So Starbucks did a, a great service to the industry in a lot of ways. And I, I worked for Starbucks for a number of years. I think of Angry Richard as kind of this, and I don't know Angry Richard very well, but I think of them as the same way. Kind of this, um, pick my word carefully, acceptable beverage. I mean, I don't, I, I enjoy them. I enjoy their, their, their bigger bottles that they had, like the Iceman mm-hmm. and the, I really like those. Their other stuff, it's acceptable, right? But without them blazing a trail, would it be, it would, I think it would be much harder for these craft cider companies to gain awareness and traction. So what's your favorite Angry Orchard Cider? There's the question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Similar to you, some of my favorite Angry Orchard Ciders are coming out of the Innovation Cider House in upstate New York. There's a lot of beautiful single varietal um, ciders coming out of there. Their Newtown Pippin is absolutely fantastic. And so if anybody okay. ever gets the chance to go to the Hudson Valley um, and check out the Angry Orchard Cider House, it is a beautiful place, just a cider playland. full. It's on an orchard. 
Um, they make such beautiful stuff and you can taste all of the amazing barrel aged and single varietal and small batch alongside all of the things like rosé and crisp. It's just a really great place to taste a huge variety of ciders um, and really explore. On a, since I've never been there, on a note, have you ever been to one of the, the Starbucks roasteries? I have, yeah. I've been to the one in um, Capitol Hill. Okay. Isn't that kind of like a combination of Las Vegas and Disneyland for coffee fans? It is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I noticed, like Vegas, there's no clock in there. Right. And, um, <laughs> you never know how long you're there. Yeah. I, I went there with a with a dear friend of mine. We both were former Starbucks partners. You know, we went there and I had an amazing experience. And then I realized I spent $300 on coffee. <laughs> I was buying coffee at 80 bucks a pound and um, it was great. But so is the angry orchard, is, is that, is there cidery kind of like that? Is it sort of like, it's like this sort of playground and overwhelming and okay. Yep. Well, they have beautiful cider that they're making. They have amazing team there as well. And it's just a beautiful place for people to explore cider, whether it be for the first time or they've drank cider for a long time. And I think that's the glory and the beauty of it is that you can have a little bit of everything there. Um, and like my career has been all over the place, as you just heard. But what I love about it is that I started in reporting and journalism. So learned how to tell a great story, moved into PR and marketing, and was working for really small places that needed that help telling that story, then went to a larger scale and learned how a larger company tells those stories and how much different it is. And really, I think, gained a lot of expertise there and interest there, and then decided to go marry both of the worlds that I had just come from, the small and the large, and start my own company. Okay. Walk us through the idea to start Yonder. And how long did it take you from having that aha moment, if you will, to your first commercial sale? My husband, when I um, left, um, sorry, let me start that over. The idea for Yonder had been in the back of my head for a long time, but I always said I wouldn't start another cider company. You know, I always said that that was too many emails and too much stuff and too overwhelming. Um, but after a couple of years at Angry Orchard, I decided that I was feeling like it could be time again. And I went to my husband and I was like, I think I want to start my own cidery. And he goes, we have been waiting for two years for you to say this. And I was like, who's we? He's like, me and all of your friends and your family, we've been waiting. And so it was just, it took me a little bit of time to know what I wanted to do and to um, to take a break from it all and come back to it and know exactly kind of what I wanted to do moving forward. And that was Yonder. And what Yonder did was it took, like I was mentioning, all of my expertise from working with small producers and then also working with a large producer. And I, I, I found the pieces I loved of both and found a way to work them together. And so that okay. comes in the form of the cider we make, our marketing and branding, the way we talk about cider, and how we present ourselves to the world. Okay. So you had this conversation with your husband. You at that point realized you were the last person to know that you should have been opening a cider. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> From that conversation, how long did it take for Yonder to come to fruition? It took about a year 
um, for us to fully from that conversation to having, let me make sure that's right. Let me say that again. Hold on. I'm going to make sure that's accurate. The thing with COVID is that all my timelines are different. And so I have to be like, (laughs) was that right or not? Um, Anyway, so from, I'll start that over. So from the moment I realized that what I was really meant to be doing was running my own cidery to when we sold our first can was about a year. And so, you know, kind of the idea started swirling around in my head uh, in that would be August of 2019. And by August of 2020, we were selling our first can of cider out of my garage of all places, which is a fun, lovely story that I'm sure we'll get into. Uh, But yeah, it took about a year. And in that time, you know, we moved forward quickly with deciding what our cider was going to be as far as blends go, how it was going to look and feel. Um, And then also having COVID hit and being like, March 2020, we're full steam ahead on this project and this idea. Do we move forward? Do we pause for a little bit? What do we do? And at the time, everybody was like, oh, this will be a couple months. So we decided to move forward. Turns out we're still here. So it's been a wild ride, to say the least. Sleepless nights. I mean, I still have those. That has not gone away. And as a small business owner, I've been told they never will. So that's I've been told that too. I've come to that realization and that's okay. Because if I was sleeping well, I don't know if I'd be doing this right. I don't know if I'd Mm. be worried. I wouldn't be worrying about my baby I have enough. And this is my baby. So. Okay. A year seems like a very short runway to go from concept to selling your first out of the garage which just puts you in great company with all those other companies that are world famous for starting in garages, you know, Apple, <laughs> Packard, many others. I don't know of any other cider makers that have started selling out of their garage. So that's I mean, maybe, maybe there are, but that's interesting. Why your garage? Just because it was the easiest place or how does that fit into overall brand of the, of the company? So Yonder's production facilities in Wenatchee. And so that's where we get most of our apples from, and that's where we produce all of our cider. Mm -hmm. When we started to move forward and decided, even though the pandemic was hitting, to move forward, we kind of put our dreams of a tap room on hold. We knew we wanted a tap room in Seattle because it was where our largest consumer base was going to be. Um, But not knowing what the outcome would be of the pandemic, it just didn't make sense to put the time, money and rent into building a space that maybe people couldn't sit in. And so we decided to move forward and we had signed a distributor. So we were confident in being able to get our products out into the market through a distributor. However, that didn't really allow us a chance to talk to anybody about our product. There were no tap takeovers. There were no bars open that you could sit in. And there were no festivals to be had to share our story with people. And so I live in Finney Ridge in Seattle, and we actually live on what's called a stay healthy street, which is one of the streets they shut down during the pandemic for pedestrians only. So the people that live on the street can like park on it. But for the most part, the whole thing is reserved for bikers, walkers, runners, etc. And it was a space in the city. And there's, there's a few of them around to allow people to be socially distanced from each other, but still get outside. 
And okay. so we're on a stay healthy street. My garage, which is detached from my house, actually is on that stay healthy street. And so my father-in-law was actually over one day and he was like, man, look at all these people walking by. You should just sell the cider out of your garage. <laughs> and so this offhanded comment turned into a entirely huge thing. And I started looking into it and there was no problem with the liquor control board because it was detached from the house. Um, there was no problem with the health department because the concept was that we were going to do to go only because you couldn't, you couldn't do tasters. You couldn't do pints inside at tap rooms at that time. So it would be purely cans to go. Um, I called the zoning department and I was like, what do you think? And they're like, mm, it's kind of a weird gray area because everything's changing and now the street's different. And honestly, we won't really know about you unless a bunch of people complain. So I was like, okay, let's take a gamble. And we move forward with opening what we called Yonder Bar. <laughs> so one of the things that I still can't wrap my head around about the state of Washington, the city of Seattle during the the pandemic was, and I, I love that they did it. First off, this isn't me complaining. It's just me not being able to wrap my head around it. All of a sudden, alcohol to go was acceptable. You could go and get a cocktail and take it to go. You could go. It was these things that the state had fought so aggressively for so long. They just said, okay, go for it. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And so here you are telling me, that you actually asked permission and they still said, yeah. I mean, I would have, wouldn't have been surprised if you just said, we rolled up the door, we sold cans and it, nobody cared. But you actually went and talked to the groups that you should have talked to. And they even said, well, we don't really know and no one's going to complain. So you go do it. That's just, it's just, it's a head scratcher to me. It's just so surprising. Wow. Okay. So yonder bar in your garage, does it have a roll-up door? Yeah, so it had a, it, it's a garage. It had a garage door. So we, okay. we, you know, that was the one thing we really invested in was a new garage door because our old one barely opens because we live in like okay. a 1950s house in, in Finney Ridge and nobody's garage door seemed to work. Um, so we installed right. the new garage door and we, my husband and I and one of my business partners, Maddie and her husband, built it and we were using a lot of like found materials or stuff from Ballard reuse because we were on a budget we were brand new cidery we hadn't sold a drop yet right and so also not sure if this was going to work if anybody would be interested or if we'd really get shut down and so wanted to keep the budget relatively low so we built yonder bar and basically it became like a walk-up window and you could walk into it a little bit because we had a merch section as well and so August, I believe it was 19th, was the first day we had planned to be open. Um, the day before, uh, we had been producing in Wenatchee because we were getting ready to send product to our distributor. We sent a pallet to be dropped off at my house full of cider cans, one pallet. And we, it got dropped off and we started unloading it. And people had been watching us build Yonder Bar for a couple of months. And then they saw us unloading cases. And that day, people were like, can I buy it? Can I buy it? Can I buy it? And so we just started selling it the day that it, it a day early. Um, but just people during that time, 
there wasn't a lot to do. There wasn't a lot to be excited about. There weren't a lot of places to go. And so people that mm-hmm. had been walking by that lived in the neighborhood that had been watching us for two months build this space, and we they'd been hearing about it. They had seen our liquor control board license permit on the door. We're super curious. And Yonder Bar became this place in this space for people to escape to, to stop by and see a friendly face, to pick up some cider for the weekend, and just to discover something completely different in a time when a lot of us were struggling and a lot of us still are, but it was this little like beacon of hope in the neighborhood for a lot of folks. What was the first cider that you brought to market and how many, how many, how many varieties did you bring to market to start with? So we actually launched with three varieties. We had our dry and our, at the time, what was called semi-sweet, which is now known as Vantage. And then we had our seasonal, which at that time was Palisades. And so we just had okay. three ciders we were selling. And so... And did you have all three of those when you opened? We did. Okay. We did. And so one of the things I love about cider is educating people. And that's what Yonder Bar became, was people being excited about this little garage bar that had popped up in their neighborhood but also getting a chance to teach people about cider. There's a lot of preconceived notions about what cider is, that it's all sweet or that it's, you know, they're not going to like it. And so we got a chance to sell to folks and talk to folks and get encourage them just to try it because they picked it up at a weird garage bar. And that sounds like a fun idea either way. And so we were also able to make mixed four packs for everyone. So we didn't sell single cans. We always had to do it in the four packs to help curb drinking on the street you had to buy it in a four pack um so we could make a mixed four pack for people and they could get a dry a semi-sweet and a palisades and then one other one you know they could get two of one of them and make a mixed four pack and discover our brand and also discover cider a little bit because each of those are pretty different for us and i think it allowed people to just explore in a way that maybe they normally wouldn't for cider so your neighborhood shows up you start selling. Did you have expectations? I mean, we all have expectations, right? What? So you had expectations. Were they met? Were they exceeded? So how, how was this initial? So our expectations for Yonder Bar were basically, we just want to sell enough product to make back the money we put into building it out. So that was around okay. six grand with the garage door, right? Okay. That was before COVID pricing increased garage doors to astronomical. You couldn't <laughs> yes. buy the garage door for six grand right now. Right. And it would be six months to get the door right. if you were lucky. So we were like, we just right. want to make back the money we put into building it. And we didn't know how long we would be open. We didn't know how popular it would be. By day three, because we opened on a Wednesday randomly, by day three, it was Friday and Saturday And everybody was walking by on the Stay Healthy Street. And I think the first weekend we had somewhere around like 200 people stop by and buy cider. And it was crazy. We didn't have enough product. We basically almost ran out that first weekend. And the word spread very, very fast. And it helped that people were just biking by. My favorite thing is when we'd see people bike by and you'd see them like, grab the brakes real quick and be like, what is that? Or like my favorite thing is when runners are going by and they like run by and then they do a loop at the end of the street and they come back and they're like, what's going on here? 
and they'd pick, they'd stop their run, they'd stop their workout and buy a four pack of cider and walk home. I have like a little bit of pride do in that. Do you see the humor in that? I do. Trying, no, it's, you know, it's, okay. it's my okay. favorite Thanks. thing. Because that's really quite hysterical to me. I also okay. learned what the bottoms of strollers are for. That's where you throw your four packs. <laughs> um, so it, it became this neighborhood like gem, hidden gem. And people were posting about it on Instagram and social media. And again, it was a time when a lot of the bars and restaurants were closed and there weren't a lot of places to go and a lot of new things popping up. And so people would come, yes, from the neighborhood, but people started coming from West Seattle and then just all sorts of other places to discover Yonder Bar. And it was an amazing phenomenon in the beginning. It was my husband, myself, and then our first employee, David, um, working Yonder Bar. And then we had to hire more people in a team so that, you know, we, we could have it open, um, five days a week. And, we eventually released newer SKUs, and when we released our first new limited edition release, which was Stoked, you know, people were pre-ordering it and coming in. We sold out in like two weeks, and it was pretty exciting to watch, and especially exciting for me as somebody that's worked in cider for a really long time. You don't typically get that type of excitement for cider and that sort of demand that quickly for cider, and it was jaw-dropping and amazing and so much fun to see and to be a part of and I just I there were so many awful things that came out of the pandemic but Yonder Bar wouldn't exist without it I don't think it would have worked in a standard Mm -hmm. in a standard climate in a standard world Um, so again it was just this like little beacon of something good happening in a time that was really dark and we were really proud to be a part of that and to help give people something to look forward to. Okay. Wow. I'm going to pause you on Yonder Bar, but let's talk about Yonder. Mm-hmm. How did you come up with the name? What is your, what's the story there? So I find naming brands and the marketing and branding behind brands extremely interesting. Um, it's, you know, thinking about what people are going to remember, what they associate with the word or the name and how it makes them feel. And so I had a couple of like requirements around what I wanted a name to be. This is my nerdy branding self. I wanted it like two syllables. If it had a fun letter in it, it's usually more memorable, things of that sort. And I wanted it to invoke something that kind of connected our life in Wenatchee, which is where all of our fruit comes from, to our life in Seattle. And we have this like split team and, you know, a lot of different interests. And mm-hmm. um, one of my business partners, Maddie, she's our creative director. She sat down and she had three names. And I don't even remember what the other two are, but she said Yonder. And I was like, that's it. That's it. I was it. And it just invoked, when she said yonder, it invoked this feeling of the first thing you think is over yonder, right? That's the immediate Mm -hmm. thing. The number of emails I get that joke, oh, I'll see you over yonder. Like that's the immediate thing that comes to mind. But when you're sitting in Seattle and you have a tap room in Seattle that you're thinking about opening and stuff, but everything that you're producing is over yonder, the name just makes sense. It also has this like slight whimsy of, you know, yonder is wherever you are that day. And it's whether it's a hammock, whether it's a, a dive bar, whether it's your backyard, 
like we're going to go over yonder and we're going to enjoy this lovely cider or this moment or these people we're with. And I think it just, it is very memorable word. It is, it does invoke a feeling for people. And I think it has done amazing things to get people to think about our brand and our cider in a different way. Okay. Why cans? I like to drink cider everywhere. (laughs) And so I like cider in cans. And I don't believe that you have to limit the type of cider that goes into cans. Uh, We just put a Perry, which is pears only, into cans. Um, We're going to put Wenatchee Wave, which is our beautiful red flesh single varietal, into cans later this summer. Mm -hmm. I love cans because they are affordable, they're portable, but they're also shareable. You can buy a four pack and you, that four pack can be split up among four friends and you can each explore Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, and drink it and and enjoy it together. I think it also breaks down some of the barriers around cider where thinking about some of my favorite ciders come in beautiful 750 milliliter bottles, right? But that price point is higher um, once you open it, you're, you're drinking 750 milliliters of cider and you're committed to it. And so a lot of times mm-hmm. those are reserved for, you know, you know, special occasions. Cider doesn't need to be a special occasion thing. For me, cider is an everyday thing. And I think having it in cans allows that to happen um, and also allow and having beautiful branding and something that you are gr- happy to having sit on your table as part of your dinner is really important as well for us. Okay. No, I love the idea that it, it comes in cans. I just, yeah, I could elaborate, but we don't need to. So I do have a question though. Yeah. And I think you answered it, but I'm going to put you on the spot with this one. Cider seems as an industry to put everything in a four pack, not a six pack like the beer industry. Why? I think it's changing. I think there are, I am seeing more cider in six packs these days. I think for me, the reason we're in four packs is because I love a full pint. There's no other answer to it. I love the way it looks and feels. For me, it's a full pint and it's more branding marketing space. And it's just, it's beautiful. I like the way a 16 ounce can feels. Okay. As far as six packs, for cider, I can also see the argument for it just from a on the shelf and what beer is doing and aligning with beer more. But also mm-hmm. it's a smaller package size and ciders are typically a little bit higher ABV. So a lot of ours are 6.5 to 7%. And so having, you know, a 16 ounce can of 7%, 6.9% cider is is no, you know, that's that's a that's a good amount of a relatively a- high ABV product. So I could see the argument for 12 ounce cans as well. But for yonder, okay. we just love the way it looks. I love a full pint, and there's pretty much no more behind it than that. Well, that's that's you know, here's the beautiful thing. It's your company. You can do what you want. <laughs> exactly. That's isn't that nice that you you know, okay. <laughs> when you were elaborating on getting started, you mentioned that you found a distributor. Which seemed, well, given your background in the industry, not surprising, but almost seems a little surprising based on conversations I've had with other uh, cider makers is finding a distributor comes later sometimes. Yet you found one from the very beginning. 
which is cool. When that when you started shipping cider, you know, outside of Yonder Bar, where where were they distributing it to? Were you just local in Washington State, or did you did you were you out of state quickly, or anything like you know what? Elaborate for me, please. So you had mentioned earlier that we had a short runway mm-hmm. for our product, and it is because I've done this before. This is not my first rodeo. So getting uh, knowing what we needed for branding and marketing, know what we know what we needed for production, knowing what we needed for cider. Um, and knowing how to get to market fast is part of the reason Yonder is where it is right now. And the distributor was a big part of that because, again, there weren't a lot of bars and restaurants open. And a lot of people were getting their beverages from local grocery stores or the grocery store because that was the one place they were going. And so it was important to us with a really small team to partner with a distributor to make sure we could get into those places. Usually that takes a lot of time, but as it being the only place people were purchasing cider at the time, it was extremely important for us at launch. And so our distributor was basically in the, like the greater Seattle area. We're still only in Washington state, um, okay. but we were seeing actually a lot of pickup at your local stores. So Ken's Market is four four blocks away from uh, Yonder Bar or from my house. And it was Mm -hmm. the first account that picked us up. And to this day is still our biggest account, which makes me extremely happy. We released another collaboration with them just a little bit ago. Um, But the other place we saw a huge pickup was at breweries. And so my background is originally in beer. um, Mm -hmm. And I have known a lot of the beer folks in the town for a long time. And they've known me from my time at Two Beers in Seattle Cider Company and from freelancing. And so when people saw that we were coming out with a cider brand, um, a lot of the breweries were excited to support and pick us up. And breweries, at least for me during the pandemic, were the one place that I felt I could get out and go to. Because breweries spent a lot of time building out their outdoor spaces. They were stuck with a lot of... um, a lot of challenges of not being able to have people inside, no tasters, et cetera. But breweries all around here raised up and really did an amazing job of making sure people could still enjoy their products and enjoy their spaces. And so um, getting on at the breweries around town also helped us a ton because people were, what's this yonder? You know, they were just seeing it on the menu board and they hadn't seen it anywhere else or heard about it anywhere else. And so I, I thank the breweries around here so much for and all my friends in the industry for their support and helping get our name out there. It was extremely important and they are extremely important for us um, to this day. So. So who was the first brewery to pick you up? Oh, I want to say Stoop, but I can't. It's. It was probably either Stoop or Urban Family. Okay. One of the two of those. But they're also, they're now like three blocks from our tap room in Ballard. And so um, I love them both. I talked to Andy from Urban Family yesterday when our glycol system went down. I called him and I was like, help, <laughs> please help. Nope. And then, um, you know, I'm friends with Robin from Stoop and everything. They're just the community in Seattle, the brewing industry and, and the, the cider industry as well is just such an amazing thing to be a part of. And it is so collaborative and helpful. And um, I feel very lucky to be back in it and a part of it. Three under. You picked the distributor, picked it up. Ken's Grocery, close to Yonder Bar. 
But your fruit and your production's in Wenatchee. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> How, when did you get to, when, when did you start selling product in Wenatchee? We started selling product in Wenatchee right away just through self-distribution. And so it okay. was minimal because we, again, were a really small team. Um, but we were self-distributing in Wenatchee and Leavenworth. And so we didn't launch with um, a Central and Eastern Washington distributor until about a year ago. So about a year into Yonder's life. Um, so we, we focused on Seattle first because we didn't know how big the demand would be, how um, how fast it would grow. And we just did know that this was the there was more people here. Right. There are more people in Seattle sure. And so we wanted to focus on Seattle first as from the distributor standpoint. But it was really important to us to have a couple of places in Wenatchee that people could be purchasing our product. And it's at places like Saddle Rock and Poor PJs and the Plaza Superjet, which is my favorite name for a store ever. Um, They all carry Yonder and they sell a ton of it. And we thank them so much for that because it is tough. It is tough having, you know, a production facility in Wenatchee. But having a tap room and a distributor here and having me split time in between, it's a lot. And it's 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 not your standard business structure, but we're making it work and doing our best. So Wenatchee has two businesses that I think are, I love the names. Plaza Superjet is, is one of them. <laughs> and when we just started looking to move here, we're driving down Wenatchee Avenue and Wally's House of Booze. I've been to Wally's. <laughs> I just thought that was the coolest name. Yeah. I just thought, okay, I'll move here just because that that sign was hysterical. I love the name Wally's House of Booze. And, you know, it's the quintessential dive bar. Mm-hmm. That and the igloo. And Have you been to the igloo yet? I've been to the igloo. Yes, I've been to the igloo. I prefer Wally's House of Booze. That's my personal preference. That's... You know, my personal preference. Fair enough. But, uh, One of the things I love because about- I like Wally's House of Booze because they have music. Oh, that's they have live music. That's fair. Yeah, that's so that's where they win out. One of the things I love about Wenatchee, besides how gorgeous it is when you drive in, is all of the old signage in Wenatchee. And so Yonder has a very like 1970s vibe to it um, by design. And then you drive around Wenatchee and you see all these beautiful like old neons and light up signs and everything, and it just it feels very preserved in certain ways. And I love that about Wenatchee. I love seeing all those old signs. And I think it plays into our brand as well. And we take some inspiration from it. Um, we have some some t-shirts and, and bags and things that have the original um, Wenatchee Apple Capital of the World sign um, from the 70s. And it's 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 I've found a couple pictures of it. I don't know where the sign exists now. They have a new one. But I love that feeling and that vibe and the honestly the tie to apples that Wenatchee has. And it just feels so right for our brand to be based there. Right. So we've gotten you a distributor. We've gotten you in local grocery stores, a few, <coughs> a few breweries, yonder bars out of your garage. You mentioned in passing you have a tap room in Ballard. Let's jump to that. What was the... Did you outgrow the garage? I mean, why? <laughs> no, I just knew, I knew someday we'd want a bigger space, right? Yonder bar was amazing. And the ability to sell people cider out of the garage and have this novel idea was, was great. And it did amazing things for our brand. But what we couldn't do is pour a pint for someone. 
and watch them taste it and get feedback from them. And that was the thing as somebody that has spent a lot of time in this industry, teaching and educating and talking to people about cider, I was missing so much from our brand. Mm -hmm. And I didn't get a chance to like sit down with an account and, you know, or a new bar, a new restaurant and talk to them about it and explain to them what makes our cider different and special. And so while we had put a large tap room on hold, I was keeping an eye out for something that might open up that might be the perfect fit for us, hoping that the pandemic would be over, which silly hope I know soon. <laughs> but um, I just I'm always I'm always on the lookout for the next thing. It's just who I am and what what could move the brand forward. And it was actually a Saturday morning and my husband and I were. Scrolling around on Pro Brewer, as you do, Pro Brewer is like the Craigslist of the brewing industry where you're trying to find like used tanks and used kegs and like all of that. And as a scrappy, you know, startup cidery in the middle of the pandemic, uh, we were always looking for things to save a little money. And so my husband actually came across a listing that was like brewery for sale in popular, popular brewing district, seven barrel brew house. And... I've been around enough to know it was only one of a couple of places that that could be. Um, And it ended up being in Ballard. It ended up being the old Populux brewing space. And they were looking to sell, you know, the space and the equipment and everything like that. And obviously Yonder's not a brewery. Um, So that really didn't quite fit for us. But what was amazing about the space was the outdoor space. And as we have all come to learn... Outdoor space has become really, really important for everyone. Um, and it was something different that wasn't overly prevalent in the Ballard, the district already. There also isn't another cidery in the Ballard Brewery district right now. And so we, it, it was too big for us. We were, this is like four months into Yonder having launched. And so I kind of went down, down the path of trying to figure out more about it and talking, talking to the owners and things And I have always been a believer in maybe not a cider only tap room. Um, I've Mm -hmm. always wanted to share a tap room with a brewery because cider is one and a half percent of craft beer when it comes to sales. And so if you make a cider tap, cider only tap room, you're only marketing to a very small segment of people. But if you have the opportunity to partner with another brand or another beverage, you have this opportunity to introduce more people to cider. And so I've always wanted to share share a space with a brewery. Um, I did find out, though, that actually in Washington State, I've learned a lot about Washington State laws over this whole process. Um, <laughs> I did learn in Washington State that breweries and wineries, which yonder is technically a winery, actually can't share tap rooms in Washington. However, the Distillers Guild in 2020 passed a bill that allows distilleries to share their tap rooms with breweries and wineries. So, found a loophole. Wait a second. Wait a second. So, sake of conversation, Scott's Winery wants to partner with Yonder and open a tap room together. We can't do that. So, a winery... But Scott's Distillery can partner with Yonder and Scott's Winery and open up a place with all three. So if it was, if Scott's winery was actually a brewery, because mm-hmm. yonder's a winery, 
So oh yeah, okay. Yeah, no, 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 yeah, right. So breweries and wineries, they can't partner. Right. But distilleries can partner with breweries and they can partner with wineries. And this was part of a, a, a bill that got passed in 2020 by the Distillers Guild. And so nobody, had t- it hadn't gone into effect yet, but it went into effect in January of 2021. And we had found, you know, this space um, in like November. And so I started searching around for a brewery partner that was willing to do this crazy project with me. The search didn't take long. I've known the folks of Bale Breaker Brewing Company for a while. Um, Kevin Smith, who's one of the owners of Bale Breaker, actually worked at Two Beers Brewing Company as a brewer when I first started doing PR for Two Beers Brewing. And so it's funny how this world is really small and comes full circle so many times throughout my life already. Um, But I called Kevin and I was like, hey, (laughs) I know it's the middle of the pandemic and all of that stuff, but... How would you, would you be interested in maybe opening a tap room in Seattle with me and yonder? Long story short, um, they said yes. We actually started a distillery together called Wise Fool Spirits to make it all happen. Wise Fool Spirits because either we're totally wise or complete fools for doing all this. And by starting that distillery, we were able to get licensing to share the tap room and make it all happen. Don't understand the logic of this. I just don't understand. Okay, all right. So you you were you're obviously demonstrating your creative problem solver, which is very cool. So you when did the tap room open? The tap room opened Labor Day weekend of 2021. So we've been open about okay. nine months. And how has that been? It's been amazing. Honestly, the chance to share the space with Bale Breaker, um, who I absolutely admire and, you know, look up to as a brand that has been around for nine years now um, and just mm-hmm. friends as well. The chance to partner with them and partner with such a, a caliber brewery like them um, and build a space that people really enjoy has been is just been amazing. So we built out the space over about seven, eight months, and uh, we really transformed the outdoor and indoor space. Um, There's fire pits, there's tons of outdoor seating, there's food trucks on site. It just feels like a kind of a different world when you walk in there, and we love that about it. Um, There's 16 taps of beer and 16 taps of cider. It's a large offering, but what we love about it is the ability for somebody to come in and they can get a flight of half beer, half cider if they want to. They can have a pint oh, cool. of cider and then have a, you know, have a pint of beer. They can have a single varietal Wenatchee Wave and then they can have a Field 41. It's, it really opens up people's options when they walk into our tap room and also offers a lot of ability to discover And especially for us as Yonder, it gives us a space to be able to showcase the breadth of what we can do. So, you know, now Mm -hmm. you can find our dry, our Vantage, and our Palisades at places like PCC, Whole Foods. They're a little more readily available. But what you can't Mm -hmm. find everywhere is our single varietals or our anniversary blend or, you know, apricot tea infusion that we're trying out or what we're testing for the next spring seasonal. It... People can walk into our tap room and 
get cider they recognize, but also push the bounds of what they know cider to be, not just from yonder, but as a whole. And I think that's a really amazing um, opportunity that we have as yonder is to open people's minds up to the world of cider and show them how different it can be. I'm scrolling through the tap list right now, which is why, <laughs> not that anybody can see me other than you, but I'm looking down at your your tap list here. And I'm like, because I was going to say, I only see 13, and then I, before I, wow. Okay, so you've got, wow. Well, because I'm not a, a skilled news reporter, we're going to, we're going to grind some gears and transition in a very unprofessional way. But I want to talk about something that I saw on your website that's been, of course now my browser won't go back. Um, Put you on the spot. Velvet cashmere. Big long pause there, folks. Um, (laughs) I was like, what's the question? (laughs) Velvet cashmere. How, what was the inspiration for this, this pairing? So this leads me to a little bit about my theory on yonder as a cidery and as a whole, I, as you probably have learned through this conversation so far, like to push the bounds of what is normal and what is possible. And I get an idea and I find a way to make it work for yonder. We, most of our ciders, all of our ciders typically that are in cans have at least 80% or they have 80% culinary and then at least 20% cider fruit. And cider fruit's the cider fruit okay. that's like more tannic and has more aroma to it. And really, you typically don't want to eat those apples, but they make for beautiful cider. And that's what makes mm-hmm. Yonder special and different from a lot of other ciders, especially ciders and ciders cans. For our seasonals which are things like Palisades and Cashmere and Sunny Slope, they are designed after cocktails I love. And so I'm a big cocktail person. I drink a lot of cider for work. I drink a lot of wine for fun. I drink a lot of cocktails for research, is what I tell my husband at least. And so sounds like a terrible lifestyle. (laughs) Just awful, awful. grueling. Just grueling. I'm so sorry for you. And so when thinking about our seasonals, our first one was Palisades, and that is blackberry and sage. There Mm -hmm. are a lot of blackberry ciders on the market, but there's not a lot of ciders that have sage in them. And what I love about cocktails is how they do an amazing job of mixing sweet and savory and herbal and just all of these different combinations that typically you don't find in beer and cider. And Mm -hmm. I love taking a cue from that cocktail world and being able to make our cider stand out in that way and add something that's a little unexpected that works and works really well. And so cashmere, uh, my favorite cocktail is the Negroni. And so cashmere is designed after a Negroni. It is tart cranberry, dark cherry, and bitter orange peel steeped in there. And so you get this like, Campari vibe to it and this like nice bitterness on the end and it's really lovely and mm-hmm. about a year ago I started getting into Amaro and learning a little bit more about Amaro's and found out that there was a company in Seattle called Fast Penny Spirits um, it's actually mm-hmm. just over the Ballard Bridge um, and, and mm-hmm. run by a couple of lovely ladies and female-owned Seattle-based Amaro yep. company. And I was like, I must know more about this. I must, I must go. 
And so they have a tasting dock and they, I went there and tasted through their uh, Americano and their Americano Bianca, uh, which is their lighter one and was just blown away. And I was like, there's gotta be something we can do here. And so started chatting with them and that's, we tasted through all of my ciders, all their Mars, tasting different blends and, and trying to see what worked. And we landed on Velvet Cashmere, which is a blend of our Cashmere Cider, our Negroni inspired cider, and their Amaricato, which is their darker Amaro. And it's like a 16 ounce to one ounce ratio. And it is so good and so different than what anybody ever thinks of for cider. And I love that about it. So I had Fast Penny on as a guest and I picked up a couple of their, you know, both of their products <clears throat> and I was, I don't know what the right adjective to use here, but intrigued. There's just not anything that I'd ever experienced before, right? And so when I'm scrolling and I see that you've put their product with your cider, and I guess what you're about to tell me, this is where you're going to break my heart publicly. That's not available in stores, is it? It's not. It's just available at the tap room right now. But I think it will be available in stores next year. So, or I should say later this year. Yeah, that's... <laughs> It's as close as to yeah. a cider cocktail I can get in a can without making it an actual well, and cocktail. That's, and that's interesting because you said, so the, I was going to ask you the ratio, if you will, and you already said that. So it's like, yeah, I've got to try that. <laughs> I, that's, that's, I, that. We have it I'm on tap at the Ballard Tap Room. We also have it in cans. I think we have mm, like 10 more cases of it left until it's gone till this winter and I'll be sad to see it go because it really, it really is an amazing beverage. Like you taste it and you're like, I don't quite know what I'm drinking. And I love that. I love that it blurs the lines so nicely between the two. So you're, you're not the, the head cider maker. So, but I'm going to ask you, you know, the cider making question on this one. How, how do you, when does it get added? When does the, the Maracano get added to this in the process? I mean. It's blended at the end. At the end. Okay. Yeah, that's super, that's super intriguing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that one stopped me in my tracks when I was like, wait, wait a second. Because their, their product is like very complex. It's like my Very favorite cool. after right. dinner drink. It's also my favorite summer drink because I make something called a little ripper with it, which is the darker Amar Amaro um, club soda, lemon, and a couple of green olives. Very Italian. Um, and it is the most refreshing, delicious, like pre-dinner beverage in the summer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. But that's the thing about <laughs> the laws and the beverage world right now. They're very siloed, right? And so... It is very difficult to create things that bridge the gap between beer and cider or cider and Amaro or, you know, it's the laws aren't built to allow for that. And so 
getting creative in the way that you're doing it or who you were working with and working to try and change some of these laws is really important so that we can continue to be creative beverage producers and break down these silos and not just create cider or beer or wine or spirits, but create really great drinks that people love and are willing to explore and search for more. Absolutely. So I'm scrolling and I'm just going to start reading, you know, your initial product was dry and then Palisades and Vantage, Cashmere, Sunny Slope. So obviously, initially you started naming your products after locations in North Central Washington. Yep. We go into some limited editions, Finney Wood, which is your collaboration with Ken's Market, where you mash the two, Greenwood and, and Finney Ridge together. Okay. Now you're throwing me with Stoked and Cider, Ken. So how did you come up? Because that doesn't seem like you're following the same naming convention. Yeah. Turns out you, you start to run out of central Washington, fun central Washington town names after a little bit. OMAC just doesn't sound like a good cider, does so, it? OMAC. Um, so no offense to we, OMAC. Yeah, we reserve, um, we reserve the central Washington town names for our, like our year rounds and our seasonals. Um, okay. And then the Finneywood just made sense because it was our homage to where we started selling cider and to Ken's Market, who was our first account. Um, Stoked mm -hmm. is called Stoked because it is 70% Stoke Red Apple. And we were releasing okay. it as our like winter limited. And so Stoked goes along with skiing, goes along with snowboarding. And it just kind of was a fun play on this apple that we were promoting and that a lot of people had yeah. never heard of. And I think that's what I loved about Yonder Bar and what I love about our limited releases is it's our opportunity to showcase apples that people have no idea about in a really fun and interesting way, right? You throw a skier on there, that skier on the can's actually um, a cartoon image of our old production manager, Cam. Uh, he wears a, a hot, hot pink and yellow uh, onesie when he skis. So uh, that's our homage to him as well. And so that was what Stoked was. And people love it and it's fun and it, it just... It gets people to drink something that's 70% cider fruit, but in a can and in a fun way. And I think that's okay. part of Yonder is breaking down a lot of those barriers that typically come with drinking something a little bit more high end. And that's a little bit more outside their norm, um, but giving it a fun twist that makes them want to grab more. So, And then Ciderkin is actually an old school traditional name. Um, have you ever heard of Paquette? No. So Paquette is in the wine world. And what it is, is after you press grapes the first time, you take those skins and any of the pulp that's left and you rehydrate it with water and let it macerate or like sit for a little while. And it pulls out okay. the rest of the like color, the sugars, some of the tannins. And then they, that naturally ferments or they ferment that, that liquid. And that's called Paquette. Mm -hmm. It's also called like small okay. wine, um, where it's a naturally lower AV, ABV um, because a lot of the sugar's already been taken out of it. And so in okay. the in the cider world, that's called ciderkin. And so after we press our cider fruit um, and get the original juice out of it, we add uh, water to the the pumice, like the macerated apples, and let that mm -hmm. sit for a couple of days to pull out that those additional sugars and flavors. Um, and it comes out to a naturally 4.5% beverage. And so cider typically when you make it naturally ferments out to 
around, you know, between six, seven, eight, like usually it's between like six and eight. Um, you can definitely get some mm-hmm. higher stuff, but that's usually the range. Um, to get it lower, you're typically doing things like adding water or something along those lines. But getting a naturally 4.5% cider-like beverage, if you will, is pretty cool. And the flavor is still really amazing. And I love having it. We release it around 4th of July because it is a really great thing for having floating a river or being on a boat or day drinking, if you will. Um, Any occasion in which you're doing that because... I love our dry cider, but a couple of like 6.5 or 7% ciders in the middle of the day afloat in the river uh, hits a little different than a 4.5% cider can. Right. And then we have the Yonder Bar Anniversary, which is intriguing. So that... I love the graphic. Oh, yeah. The graphic is Yonder Bar. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's a beautiful can. And it is a beautiful cider. Um, our cider makers developed that one and basically pulled out all their favorite cider apples um, to make that. And it is huh? rich and like spicy in like a, a warming kind of way and just a really, really lovely cider. And then you got the rosé rosé, Ro- which I like. The, I like the I like the, the way you've done the graphic on that, too. That's kind of that's yeah, fun. it's beautiful. Yeah, you've done nice. I mean, the attention to detail on the on the on the pre- presentation of the cans is really cool. I really like the aesthetic. Now, I got to tell you, the chai lemonade things just like yeah, you can take that off the menu as far as I'm concerned. That one, boy, but I, people love people love chai. I I don't get it. It's a really great so cider. A- it's uh, it plays well <sighs> in the fall and also plays well in the summer because it's got that like. Nice lemony, lighter flavor to it. Um, I like chai. I like ginger, so I like it a lot. But it's not for everyone. It's yeah, okay. And then you've just you've just released this Perry. What what was the motivation there to go away from apples and to, to do a Perry? So Perry is something that is relatively hard to find. Uh, it's not as pre- well. I should say it's not as prevalent as cider, and finding really good Perry is even harder. Um, so we were given an opportunity to buy a bunch of Perry pears last fall at a pretty good rate, and um, and snap them up because Perry pears are difficult to find. So Perry pears are going to be smaller um, and really high in sugar content. And so they they make for the best Perry. You can definitely make Perry out of things like D'Anjou, except and Bartlett, etc. But the Perry pears are really where Perry shines. And so we got access to those. And Yonder's all about teaching people more about cider or you know or Perrys for that matter, and showcasing something that maybe somebody hasn't had before. And so I don't know many people that have put Perry into cans. And so we decided to move forward with making a Perry that is um, 70% Perry pears and 30% D'Anjou pears. So it, it, it makes it a little bit crisper, a little bit more sessionable, uh, it makes it perfect for putting into a can. And so we released that and it has been so much fun to watch people's faces when they drink Perry for the first time, because it is really different. It, it's, it has a lot of similarities to cider, but it's more nuanced and it changes a little bit with each sip. And it is different in a way that is hard to put your finger on sometimes. 
um, has a slightly natural sweetness to it as well, um, which people seem to be loving. A lot of our stuff skews very dry. And so it's nice to have something with a little bit of a touch of sweetness to it. Um, and mm-hmm. it's been fun to educate people. You know, we still get a lot of people calling it a pear cider, which is fine. But pear cider is apples and pears. This is a hundred percent pears. And, you know, I'm excited. I am packaging up a four pack of it to send to Tom Oliver, who is in England and one of the most like well world renowned pear makers. And I can't wait to, to see what he thinks. So our, um, our cider maker, our head cider maker, Tim Larson, who's also one of my business partners in Wenatchee, he is a amazing perry maker as well. So I feel very lucky to have him on the team and to have um, had this beautiful perry made. I can, you, you said you're packaging it up and I can only imagine sending alcohol to another country is <laughs> something simple to go to the post office with. I'll figure it out. Super easy. Can't, yeah, I can't, nothing can go wrong there. And then you've got some draft onlys, the Roxbury Russet, the Wenatchee Wave, and the Kingston Blacks. Any chance that those will make it into cans? Potentially. I think Wenatchee Wave will. Um, It is definitely one of our top sellers. It is a beautifully tart, naturally, you know, pink from the red flesh apple cider that people absolutely love. Um, You know, single varietal ciders are more expensive. So going into cans is a bit of a challenge sometimes with that. But while I love having single varietal ciders on, I think we currently have five on at the tap room. Uh, Why I love that so much is we can showcase individual apples and what they taste like once they've been fermented. And I think that's pretty special. And so people, especially if they get a flight, can get like our dry cider. They can get, which is like an 80% culinary, 20% cider fruit. Then they can get our anniversary blend that's 70% cider fruit, 30% culinary. So the opposite. And then they can get a couple of single varietals, right? And so they can just go on this wild ride of from very crushable, but still have a lot of body and flavor to highly tannic, maybe a little funky. And they can just take this like cider journey. And I love having it. That's why I love the tap room so much is that people can really explore cider there. Or, you know, they can throw velvet cashmere in as one of their flight options and then just throw the whole thing for a loop. Yeah, you just, yeah, you just knocked me off with that one. That, that velvet cashmere, just, yeah, very, yeah, that one. Okay. So you don't have much to do. You've (laughs) run a cider company. You've got a tap room now. There's this other thing you've got going called the source. Mm-hmm. How did that come about? So did yonder come first? Did the source come first? What's what's the how what's this and how do they re, how are they interconnected? Yeah, so yonder the original concept with yonder was to work with um the source used to be called a different company called Sunred and um the the idea was to work with Sunred to actually produce our cider. Starting a cidery is extremely expensive because of the startup capital needed. The tanks, the press, the, all of that, if you're going to go this route that we've gone. And it was just more than I was ready to take on at the moment. And so, you know, they were going, I was going to work with that team to, um, to come up with the recipes with me and to produce it there. And then we would package it and sell it. And so, um, Unfortunately, like an opportunity came available to, and then Sunred was up for sale. 
um, which completely changed um, my plan. Because if somebody else was going to buy it or they were going to sell it for parts or whatever, it, Yonder's idea was going to be different. And so me being the crazy person I am, decided to, um, to, to take on another company during the pandemic and actually start Yonder and The Source at the same time. And so Tim, who is my head cider maker um, at Yonder, is also my business partner in The Source. And he uh, was working at Red previously. And so we own The Source and we do premium juice and custom fermentation for other cideries, Yonder being obviously the largest one. Um, they were launched at the same time. Um, they actually occupy the same building and share a space. They're like, you know, sectioned off from each other, but we also share a team. And so it's a beautiful synergy mm -hmm. where the source is, yes, making Yonder Cider, but it's the same people that are also packaging it and putting it in on the Yonder side. So we have this beautiful opportunity. But what the source does as a couple things is it allows cideries like Yonder to be able to start up quickly without a ton of capital and get going fast with really high quality cider. And that's a beautiful thing. And it, and it takes away a lot of challenges that I think a lot of not only cideries, but startup beverage companies face. Um, it also increases the opportunity for really high quality cider. And you have a lot of options. We do tankers of culinary juice, but we also do totes of single varietal ciders. And you can blend the two, you can get finished cider, or you can get frozen juice. It just gives you a whole range of opportunities as a cidery to produce something that maybe wouldn't be accessible to you um, because we have it and we have it either frozen or stored um, and work with clients throughout the year to plan for their production. So it also allows people to scale with us, which I think is a beautiful thing. Um, you know, the hope is that these, they scale and they scale and they maybe eventually one day can afford their own production facility and they move it there. But we can, we can be flexible um, because there are tanks, right? So if a company grows, we have the tank space. If they shrink back, that's fine. They don't, they don't have to sell off another tank. It's all our stuff. So it allows people to kind of ebb and flow with the seasons, with growth, with the economy, with the pandemic. Um, and I think provides a lot of opportunity. So it's almost like a, a cider incubator. If you yeah. Will. Yeah. We've worked with, it's beautiful because we work with a lot of startup cideries, but we've also been working with cideries that have been around forever that have like one skew that they want produced off site because they don't have enough tank space. And so we get to work with, honestly, a lot of our friends in the industry. Um, we get to work with a lot of breweries that I've known over the years that wanted to start their own cider skew. And it's been a lot of fun to kind of see where the opportunities lie and be able to hopefully increase cider quality through this. That's actually really cool. Yeah. So what's next for Yonder? Um, oof, that's a good question. Let me think on that one, but then I, I want to go back real quick, if you don't mind, uh, to talk about the fight for Yonder Bar that we had, because that's what most people know us for. Okay. If you don't mind. No, let's do it. So about three months into opening Yonder Bar, I got a call from the zoning department and oh. they had gotten a couple of reports that somebody was unhappy with what we were doing at Yonder Bar. Um, we had been talking with them and we, we were trying to work out some solutions, but in, in that time of trying to work out solutions, and this is right around the holidays, um, mm -hmm. the cops showed up at my house a couple of times, the health department showed up, the liquor control board kept getting called. 
And it turned out that we had one person who lives about seven blocks away who was unhappy with Yonder Bar for various reasons and made it his personal mission to get Yonder Bar shut down. Uh, it was okay. a very stressful four months because at that time, Yonder Bar was extremely important to us. We'd only been open for a couple of months. Um, we were growing. We were, you know, just trying to make it through the pandemic like any other small business was. And was it a little mm-hmm. weird what we were doing? Sure. But was it hurting anybody? No. And did we have a lot of people supporting us? Yes. And so what it came down to is I ended up um, challenging the zoning department and eventually working with city council and making a case for why Yonder Bar and why other businesses like Yonder Bar should be available and allowed. And so over a process of about four months, um, we ended up shutting down for three weeks because of all this. But at the end of that three weeks, we worked with city council to pass a bill called Bringing Businesses Home. Um, What Mm -hmm. Bringing Businesses Home bill does is it allows small businesses to incubate within their garages. Um, It removes a lot of the home business restrictions like no signage and it must be not visible from the outside and all of that. And so we were able to remove a lot of those restrictions. It was originally put for just one year. And the idea was that Mm -hmm. a business could start in its garage and incubate, prove concept of viability and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then hopefully, just like Yonder did, sign a long-term lease at a permanent commercial space and build out a real tap room or a real site. And so that's what the bill was for. That's exactly what Yonder did. And it was a beautiful thing. Um, The support that we got from the community, though, when they found out that somebody was trying to shut us down was crazy. We got over 5,000 signatures. We had people emailing the news stations. We, I, for a couple of weeks, TV crews just kept showing up outside my house to talk about Yonder Bar and to talk to people because it was this story of, you know, an entrepreneur, a woman-owned business, and somebody just trying to do something creative and make it work. And this one person just trying to shut it down when a neighborhood full of people wanted it. And so Yonder Bar was able to reopen. Um, but what I love the most about it is that we got this bill passed and the bill is getting extended. And so after the bill got passed, I know of a chocolatier that opened, a flower shop, a plant shop, and all these other little places that are considering opening in a space that they already have that they won't have to pay rent in to maybe follow their dream when they maybe wouldn't have otherwise. And I think that's such a beautiful thing. And I'm so thankful for the support of the neighborhood and the support of the city council and everything that we did to kind of get that passed and what Yonder Bar did for hopefully other businesses. That's very exciting. Although it's not expensive to rent anything in Seattle, but these companies could go ahead and you know sign a multi-year lease to test something. It's one of the biggest challenges, honestly. Like when we were looking at spaces before we landed in Ballard, you know, they're asking for 10-year leases and personal guarantees. And that is just not physically possible for most people, especially if you haven't even started your business yet. How, how do you do that? How, do, how can you commit to that? I don't know the answer. I, I, yeah, we, let's not go down that <laughs> rabbit hole because we could talk for another hour and it t- changed the whole tone yeah. of the conversation. So not letting you off the hook, let's go back. So what's, now that you've, you've fought City Hall and won, what's, what's on the horizon over yonder? 
That is a great question. Right now, we are trying to keep up. Um, we are having so much fun building our tap room out. Uh, we're currently building a second bar there right now called a can bar um, to help, you know, okay. alleviate some of the, the busyness at the main bar during the summer. Um, my husband and I are building that out because, you know, building bars and projects is our is our passion project. Um we have a new seasonal coming out called Cooley. It's our first new seasonal that we've released in a while. Um, it's pineapple, lime, and cardamom. And I'm so extremely excited for it um, to introduce a pineapple cider to the world from yonder that honestly tastes like a cocktail again. Uh, it comes, it's okay. based on a um, a cocktail that I had when I was in Oaxaca. Um, I'm a big mezcal person. And so I had a okay. mezcal, lime, uh, pineapple, and cardamom cocktail while I was there. And I was like, this is it. This is the next seasonal. We have to figure out how to make this work. Um, besides that, there's always something around the corner for yonder. Okay. Well, I mean, it's okay. You've got all the free time in the world. I can tell. So speaking of free time. So when you're not building out bars, fighting city hall, driving back and forth from Seattle to Wenatchee, what do you guys like to do for fun in, in you know, entertainment in the Seattle area? Um, I'm a big skier. I didn't get to ski that much this winter, but we do love to ski. Um, I've been skiing since then. Where's your go-to, where's your go-to slope? Uh, I go to Stevens quite a bit. So, but I've done, you know, Mount Baker a couple of times and things of that sort. So it's fun to, I love traveling to ski as well. Um, I love going to Utah and up to, you know, Whistler and things of that sort. So it's been a little busy as of late. So I didn't get out as much this winter as I would have liked, um, but we've got a 13 and a half year old dog, Emma, who kind of runs our world and our life. And we love getting her out to the beaches. And so we've been traveling around a lot lately to a lot of the islands just to explore and get out of the city a little bit and take a little bit of a brain break. Um, okay. I'm very into plants recently. Like if you go to the tap room, our tap room is filled with plants that I love to take care of. And I have a bunch of my home as well. And so it's my little like de-stress moment, if you will. Okay. Um, and then I'm planning a road trip down the coast right now for September. We're going to rent a trailer and take Emma along with us and hit up the California coast, go all the way down to San Diego and back and got a lot of people and friends and places we want to visit along the way. Okay. So these questions I'm about to ask you are unfair. They're hard. And I'm not going to let you off the hook. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Are you a coffee drinker? I am. Best place for you to get coffee around the Seattle Ballard area. Best place for me to get coffee is the Herkimer. It's four blocks from my house. Okay. They make great coffee and they always have dog treats for Emma. So if I leave without grabbing a dog treat, I get in trouble. All right. Best place to get lunch. Ooh. Sabine and Ballard, uh, they also carry yonder, uh, but they make great salads and great sandwiches. And it's always just such a beautiful little spot. Okay. So this is, this last question is a two-part question. Your go-to cocktail. Negroni, specifically Mezcal Negroni. And the best bar to get it at. Ooh, Flint Creek up the street from me here makes an amazing Negroni. Also. Okay. Flint Creek makes an amazing Mezcal Negroni. Cornudo in Finney Ridge makes the best actual Negroni. Gin Negroni. Okay. You see why these are hard. 
At least I have the you're, answers. You're, yeah. you, know, you do. Yeah, you do. Actually, you've, you've done really well. All right. So we're going to ask one last okay. question. Best place to get breakfast. I always, I'm like best place or the place I always get breakfast. Yeah. Where do you always, go where do I breakfast? always go for breakfast? I always go to breakfast, um, to mainstay provisions. So it's a like Saturday morning ritual for me, Emma and my husband, John is it's like uh, you can pre-order and you go and you get their like bacon egg sandwich that's got like arugula and aioli and it's so good and it's like the eggs not all the way cooked and you just go down there we grab the sandwiches to go and we go to a local park and spend a little time with Emma on Saturday mornings and eat our breakfast and kind of enjoy the, the morning before it inevitably gets crazy. So given the camera angle that we have here, Emma is now presenting herself, is <laughs> What breed is Emma? Emma is a Rhodesian, Rhodesian Ridgeback and Lab mix. And so we adopted hey. her when she was about one years old from Paws up in Linwood. And she is going yeah. on 13 and a half right now. So she's a nice. good girl. She's basically bionic. She's had two knee surgeries, uh, lung cancer, and currently going through chemo for lymphoma. But she's doing great and is super happy and we're excited to take her on that trip I mentioned where we get to go down the coast because her favorite thing in the world is water and beaches. And so every day okay. she'll get to explore a new beach and play in the water. Sounds like an amazing trip. <laughs> all right. My, my catch all get out of jail free question. What didn't I ask you that I should have? My favorite dive bar. Oh, okay. Well, I just assumed it was going to be Wally's House of Blues because it's an awesome name. All right. What is your, what is your favorite dive bar? Olaf's. Olaf. Olaf. I've not heard of that. Um, it's over in Ballard. Um, sorry, it's just going to be done. Um, it's, it kind of ties back to the Yonder story a little bit. Um, so there's Olaf's and there's um, uh, Rupee right next door. And... Olaf's is like your classic dive bar, right? You go in, you're getting like, they've got great beer, but they've also got Miller Light on tap and they've got great, you know, whiskey, sodas and like whatever you want. And you can go in wearing anything and be accepted and come as you are. Rupee is next door and it is this beautifully curated, dark Sri Lankan restaurant with small plates and amazing cocktails. And so Olaf's is my favorite and I love it. And then Rupee came in and when we were talking about building Yonder, I was like, I want a brand that can fit in both of these spaces. I love a good dive bar just as much as I love a high-end expensive dinner date night, you know? And I want mm-hmm. a brand mm-hmm. that not only from a flavor profile standpoint, from but from like a how it looks standpoint, can sit on both of those bars. And that's what we strive to create. And so... Yeah, I, I love going there. Well, this actually prompts another question. Are you are you a music fan? Uh, a little bit. I, I wouldn't say I'm not. I, I wasn't not great music. So okay, I was going to ask if you know where where you like to go see music in Seattle. With the pandemic, it's been yeah. that's been a tough question for people. But I recently went to the Sunset Tavern for the first time uh, to see my friend okay. and um, former employee Kate Dinsmore play. And she's a beautiful singer and musician. Uh, she had her full band there. And I had never been to the Sunset Tavern. And it's such a great okay. hidden little gem. And um, not to always plug yonder, but they also had like 
a cider and a shot special going on. So I was totally down with that. <laughs> Have you ever been to the tractor? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ballard? I, I love yeah, the tractor. Yeah, the tractor's great. I love the tractor. It's one of... It's just something about that place. It, you know, it's not that great for music because the bar's off to the side, yeah. but there's something about the tractor. It's one great. of uh, my husband and I, John's um, missions this summer is to, now that we're not building a tab room or building a cidery or, you know, building a business, mm-hmm. we're still building a business, but we have less construction sure. projects this year. How about that? Um, is to mm-hmm. spend a little bit more time at some of these venues. Uh, we didn't get a chance to do it very much while building it plus the pandemic and i know these places Mm -hmm. all need our support and i want to go and it's just not something that's ever been something i do a lot of but kind of realizing during the pandemic how much we did miss it even that little bit we went before um our hope Mm -hmm. is to kind of explore some more of these venues this summer yeah awesome well i have taken a lot of no worries i appreciate i appreciate it it's been a lot of fun for me i can't wait to try the velvet cash. Well, if you just, email um, me your address, I'll just ship you some. Oh, I guess. <laughs> don't say no. <laughs> oh, I'll right. ship you some of that chai uh, lemonade no, too. <laughs> oh. Oh, all <laughs> no, right. That's fine. I won't say Um. Yeah. No, I'll definitely oh send gosh. you some. I no, and thank you so yeah. much, and I really appreciate. it. Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.